Hello and welcome to episode 16 of From the Platform. This episode is on nuance. I'm Tom. And I'm Naomi. And this episode, Naomi's going to take the lead. Okay. With some things she's been learning about. Indeed. So I recently listened to a programme on Radio 4 called The Death of Nuance by someone called Oliver Berkman. I thought there were lots of really relevant points for From the Platform. So it basically gave the argument that in today's society and the way we talk about things, so kind of political discussions, just general kind of discussions and debates, we need more nuance. We need more time to step back and recognise nuance rather than being um, black and white in our thinking and our arguments. So it made the point that reality is really, really complex. And particularly as with the complexity of today's society, we need more nuance than ever. And there's a prevailing argument, which is you are either with us or against us. And that idea, even though it's very attractive and it's easy to argue and it's easy to put out a quick message on Twitter or Facebook with that kind of stance, that is actually incredibly flawed. It's just not a good way to make Mm -hmm. an argument. And it's a really bad way to just think about life, really. It's interesting that, I'm not sure when it changed, but you were able to hold those simpler systems because less people were talking. Yeah, potentially. As in, so there's now more of a public space for people to talk. Yeah, it was more of a broadcast of saying this is what is and this is what isn't. Pick what Mm. you want to go with. And because I guess now there's more opportunity for people to kind of go into the grey areas and say, actually, have you thought about this or have you thought about that? that it kind of becomes more complex to navigate. Mm, Yeah, potentially. I suppose before social media and the internet, you would debate with people who you knew face-to-face, like people who you Mm. saw at a social club or at the pub and that kind of thing. But there would be people who you had a more um, in-depth relationship with already, I guess. Whereas now there's, yeah, just a lot more unproductive debate and arguing, isn't there? But also an exposure to different perspectives generally yeah lots of different ideas out there that are confusing and in the nature of the way particularly the internet and social media works it's just very quick argumentative points rather than it's almost like the lid's been lifted on everyone having a say about everything yeah lots of different ideas but not the skills to Mm. navigate it yeah absolutely and we've talked about this kind of thing a lot but it made the point that we need to cut out the nuance for survival Mm. it gave the um the example of a neanderthal who is hunting on the savannah and they hear a noise behind them if you're more inclined to think about the nuance and stand there go oh well it could be a tiger or it maybe (laughs) could be the wind blowing through the trees or perhaps it's just my imagination or perhaps it's just my friend if it is a tiger you're dead like you've gone but if you assume that's a tiger black white that is danger i'm out and get out then you survive Mm -hmm. so obviously in a kind of survival way it's that kind of thinking that helped us to survive it's level one listening isn't it when we're talking about the habitual i in me listening it's saying i'm not going to deal with any nuance i just want to hear what i need to hear to make an action and to make a decision quickly mm. and that's that's your kind of everyday survival like yeah, listening yeah. and attending to things isn't it it's like, yeah this is how i survive in life make that decision go yeah, yeah 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 definitely and there's a lot to be said for the fact that for you know however long we lived in a survival stance so that's how our brain developed whereas in such a tiny amount of time comparative to how long uh, brains have been 
on the earth we haven't developed yet our brains are still suited to that kind of survival quick make a decision and go Mm -hmm. um thinking and aren't just adapted to the way yeah the world works now basically so yeah in a complex world we want to have simple categories for everything when there's especially now ideas about the bible there's so many different ideas that you can access Mm -hmm. um uh, there's a whole plethora of different interpretations We want there to be simple black and white rules because it's much, much harder to kind of take all of those in. Mm. So the next example they gave that I thought was really interesting is the Sorites paradox, which is the when does a heap of sand become a heap? So if you take a grain of sand at a time and place them in the same place, there's no way to say exactly when it suddenly becomes a heap of sand. It's that idea of the term a heap or a pile isn't a black and white thing Mm -hmm. and there's no exact moment when it changes state Um, and then there was the example of the climate crisis kind of because it happened very very slowly Mm. and because it's now referred to as a crisis and a lot of people's heads might think well when did all of a sudden become a crisis like Mm -hmm. it it wasn't that we never used to talk about it in this way so what paradox is this the sorites paradox who was he in the first place quick google fact check Oh, so Sorites isn't a person. It comes from the Greek word soros, which means a heap. And it was oh. actually a Megarian philosopher called Eboulides who came up with it. There, there we go. We go. Um, so it's a really good example of um, when we can't be black and white about things. There's so many physical things and conceptual things that don't have a black and white to them. Mm-hmm. And it made me think of in our current 2021 world of at what point am I social distancing from you? Mm-hmm. Uh, do I wear a mask when I'm sitting this far away from you or only when I'm this close to you? Or is this, um, you know, at what point does it stop being a support bubble and turns into a party? Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's very difficult to have those. And people, particularly in Britain, are very angry with the government for not giving more black and white rules. Yeah. However, in a way, that is a that is a silly argument because we have to take nuance and we have to judge for ourselves. It's mm-hmm. that want of, no, just give me a rule so I don't have to think about it. Mm-hmm. Whereas actually, really, we have to take responsibility for ourselves mm-hmm. and yeah. know what's right and wrong i think pathogens and diseases are really hardwired things into the human psyche um as as things that you want to have in out rules about because mm. those are the, those are the things that can wipe out entire communities indeed um so i thought the sorites paradox was particularly interesting thinking about stuff like head coverings and sisters speaking mm-hmm. because i listened to john launchbury's first talk in his series of women's roles I thought it was really fantastic and he pointed out the fact that it is impossible to be black and white about sisters roles because there's no way to apply it in a black and white way you know at what point do you have to put your head covering on and in what situation do you put your head covering on is it as you Mm -hmm. walk into the room or I used to go to a church where it was said when you went through the second set of doors that's when a sister had to have their head covering on it's like an airlock. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, <they laughs> a head covering the airlock. <laughs> yeah, and put your suit on. Um, <laughs> so yeah, there is no black and white way of doing this. And you know, if um, if a sister is allowed to teach Sunday school, to what age can they teach Sunday school? At what point is it them? Mm. Is it until their pupils are baptised? Or can they carry on teaching a sister's class, but their male students then have to go to a different teacher? You know, there is no black and white to this. It has resonance to the Sorites mm. paradox, doesn't it? The programme 
also made a really interesting point that nuance develops with age and with more sophisticated thinking and that in a particularly kind of capitalist society, uh, money makers and governments don't want us to develop this skill. It's easier to control a group if you carry on just thinking black and white and don't mm. start to think in more complexity and nuance you know it's just sort of i'm being advertised that thing cool i'll buy it not think about actually is that claim that it's made correct will that really make me happier think back to the last time i bought something on impulse actually no it didn't make me happier all that kind of stuff and um so it talked about uh this can become an infantilizing culture when we have shorter attention spans shorter video content quick tweets quick facebook posts very rarely do people sit and read a kind of long read thing. Mm. And it made the point that this is the kind of thing that should be resisted. We shouldn't be just sort of impulse buying because something was advertised to us. Um, You know, reading things and very quickly making judgments on people. And I wondered, can a church community collectively and unconsciously do this to us? The very nature of maintaining a community requires collective thinking as opposed to individualistic thinking Mm. and having more black and white rules and I know I don't want that to sound negative because there's amazing benefits to being part of a community and Mm -hmm. having that collective attitude and things that are better for the group rather than individualistic however if taken to the extreme it can end up with people having more black and white thinking and not being encouraged to Mm -hmm. think in a nuanced way because that's more difficult to maintain in a group it's interesting when you have black and white thinking it's easier then to manipulate people just by throwing in like a verbal grenade of controversy you can immediately separate people mm. and it, and so when you have black and white thinking and, and everyone's triggered by their black or white way you can go into that group and go what do you think about this guys and then the group is immediately yeah. split and you can manipulate kind of not that that happens um consciously or or purposefully mm. but i think that well i think it happens consciously and purposefully in the world thinking about trump like he just throws things out there and can split Twitter <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, completely and get, have them all fighting because because it's also black and white or it's supposedly so black and white that it becomes very manipulable quite mm. quickly. So the programme did talk about that, actually. We can be harshest with people who are closest to our beliefs, weirdly. Right. Mm. So... You may have someone in your family who's not a Christadelphian, might be an atheist or agnostic. You might have a best friend at work who doesn't share your religious beliefs or a neighbour. However, you're far more likely to think more harshly of someone who shares the majority of your beliefs, but differs on something like, you know, attitude to the inspiration of, of, of the Bible or something like that. You'll find that much, much harder to have a relationship with that person mm. as opposed to just a relationship with someone who... Do you think that it's because there's a sense of betrayal? Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. Coming in. It's like you you hold the majority of these things, but you're betraying me on this one yeah. thing. That kind of... Mm. But if you think about that unnuanced stance, it's kind of, well, you're either just a Christadelphian or you're not a Christadelphian. You're mm. not a Christadelphian, so I understand what you are. Yeah, Whereas, yeah. oh, I thought you were a Christadelphian, but maybe you're not and you, you're forcing me to think in a more nuanced way about this solid group that I wanted. And again, I don't want to suggest that people are stupid or ignorant for thinking in this way. It's a very natural way to think. It's Mm. an easier kind of, you know, survival mechanism to think in that way. But that is a reaction to it. And so the programme went on to say that characteristically groups will splinter because of this. It's much easier to want to keep a group pure 
So for example, no, you can't be an environmentalist because you eat meat at the weekends or you don't always shop organic. You know, you can't belong here because you tolerate a family members who don't wear head coverings. You can't call yourself Chris Adelphian if you don't read the um, glad tidings every week or something like that. And the result of this is that you can build a much smaller group of hardliners. And that's, you know, that's a term that came from the programme that I was watching. This resulting in smaller, less powerful groups. And in terms of a religious community, how can you be a presence, be a light stand and preach in that kind of state when you're constantly becoming smaller and smaller and smaller mm. and more potentially kind of hardline maybe more dogmatic yeah, and yeah. less nuanced and flexible in your your thinking yeah. so your point thereof if you've got people who think in a very in out black and white way about their groups it's very easy to disrupt those groups by kind of planting ideas and and that kind of thing if you have a if you have a system of not being able to think in a nuanced way or practicing nuanced thinking and debate and discussion, it's that whole model of your faith being a brick wall rather than an interconnected web, that kind of thing. Mm. So the next point in the programme was about the concept of pick a side. You know, when you hear people say, oh, you know, stop dithering, just pick a side. Mm. I've had people say to me, uh, Naomi, just decide if you're going to be a vegetarian or not. You know, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. And it's that idea of pick a side. Are you a something or a something? Mm. You know, that idea of ident identity, identity politics. Your beliefs are who you are. They define you. Mm. And it's funny that I find it's quite old fashioned, isn't it? The idea of being a vegetarian, a vegan, mm. a meat eater. It's, you know, something you do becomes your identity. Mm -hmm. And it has to be, well, if you're going to be a vegetarian, then you're never allowed to eat meat ever again. Yeah, yeah. And people get really angry about it, don't they? And I think it's to do with this thing of, no, because I've put you in a category now because I see you as a this. Yeah. So what are you doing having that pork pie? What are you doing? <laughs> Blending things up. <laughs> yeah, no, in my yeah. head you're here, so don't confuse me. Yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. funny, isn't it, how other people get so angry when they're reacting to other people's kind of identities because yeah, it's easy yeah. to kind of put people into boxes Which and not think in that nuanced way. Interesting, considering the statement, God's statement of I am that I am. Mm -hmm. And I remember hearing a talk which said that being I am that I am means that it's unlimiting. Like it's not mm. like I am a something because often if you're a brackets something, that means it excludes you from being something else. Mm. And so the I amness of God, the being of him, isn't wrapped up in any kind of yeah. identity outside of, well, I guess just a myriad of different images and parables about mm. his nature. Yeah, because, I mean, there are times when God says, I am long-suffering, all those, and then all those attributes and things like mm. that. There are lots of places where you can look at the identity of God, you know, like being an eagle, a mother hen, father all of those things there are lots of places through the bible but yeah that's yeah. really interesting but they all it? seem to be signposts towards the greater existence of god they're not yeah, like they're not limiting thing. things it's not like he's just a father yeah like those things are contradictory. i am a god of mm. yeah so it's okay. i think it's okay to be paradoxical in in what you identify as like i can be vegetarian but i can also be well maybe even no maybe it's yeah is that where the 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 caution is not to say I am a yeah yeah and more yeah, describe yeah. your behavior and your beliefs rather yeah, than saying yeah. I am a 
which is really difficult, isn't it, in a group like the Christadelphians? Mm-hmm. Um, it's very threatening to group cohesion if you stop calling yourself a Christadelphian mm, or yeah. a member of this particular ecclesia. Yeah, yeah. if you stop defining yourself by mm-hmm. a label and define yourself instead by an experience, that's really... Because people will want to define the experience yeah, yeah. to know what... To, to make sure they're experiencing the same thing as you or <laughs> yeah yeah you, yeah. you be, again you have to be nuanced about nuance and that you can't just be like cool yeah. we're just going to be ethereal <laughs> like you know philosophical thinking yeah, 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 yeah. entities yeah. you know you do have the other end which is is it important to you to be part of a group a community yeah. and is it important to you to maintain that community mm-hmm. and i would say yes community yeah, is enormously important that balance i think it's that yeah. balance of attention as well like we talked about in that episode where we were talking about Emma Gilchrist stuff. Like one is the focused, boundaried, defined attention to the world. Mm-hmm. And the other is the networked, interdependent attention to the world. And you can't have one without the other. One mm-hmm. feeds into the other and feeds back into the other. And it, yeah, it you need that like balance. A, a system that, yeah, balances the two. Yeah, which is in- really hard. Yeah, really, really difficult. Absolutely. And um, again, I'll come on to like the ideas of being a moderate is actually Mm. the hardest stance to take. But we I feel like this comes up again and again, doesn't it? There is a constant parable, isn't there, through lots and lots of things. So from the walled Garden of Eden, but Mm -hmm. with a river flowing through. So you have boundary yet you have flexibility, you know, unneeded things going out and new things coming in. Uh You have things like in biology, a cell wall that lets things in and out, yet maintains the cohesion of the cell wall. So you need that structure, but the flexibility as well, which I do think um, conceptually does apply to appreciating the need for nuance and the balance between a community that looks after people, that maintains an identity which is a name, which is the light stand, which is something that can be preached from, yet still maintaining that kind of, what's the word for something, something membrane? Like a porous. Yes. Membrane. Or porous membrane around yeah. the edge. Semi-translucent. Permeable, Permeable membrane, that's the one. Yeah, There's yeah, yeah. GCSE back out again. You, Yeah, you do need flexibility coming in and out. So yeah. you can't be all about pure individualistic, Everyone just have their own ideas and float around as they want. And you can't be, well, I would say you can't be pure, stick to the black and white group rules with no flexibility for thinking. Yeah. But we have a tendency towards that because it's much harder to be a moderate and stick in between. So the idea of pick a side, I would say, in the context of this is really, really flawed. So in striving for some sort of self-awareness in these situations, we need to be open to the truth in other people's criticisms, even mm. if maybe you want with a, like a level one listening to just shut out that person's critique. I think it's always important to say, well, actually what's true about what they're saying mm. first and yeah, try and do some clarifying about what their critique is and understand it mm. instead of reacting against it. Definitely. And have, yeah, an impulsive, knee-jerk mm. dismissal of the whole thing. So do you mean if you hear point being made, like interrogate your reaction to it? So do I think, oh, no, 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 that can't possibly be right. 
before you've really analysed it because you just instinctively know that's not the thought of the group that you're generally in or the kind Mm -hmm. of, yeah, the the spectrum. Yeah, if it doesn't sit well with you. Well, I think it's always good in every with everything to say, well, actually, is there a nugget of truth in this? Mm. Even if it seems totally absurd to you. It's like, yeah. what could be true about yeah. this? Or what is, what's the need here? Going back to... Um, nonviolent communication. Nonviolent communication. Yeah, I have to think with some compassion about those people. In order to do that, there must be a huge thing driving you. Or, or some sort of lack of fulfilment. Yeah, exactly. What is it that's being fulfilled? Yeah, yeah. Which, if those people are just dismissed, then actually that makes the problem even worse, isn't Mm -hmm. it? And it's going to kind of bubble up elsewhere. So if you hear a biblical point that you just think, oh, that's that's ridiculous. Uh, The example of there, I have heard certain talks that suggest that humans and dinosaurs lived alongside each other. And there is a kind of an interesting book that puts this point forward and things like the dragon that... Um, George, St. George. St. George slayed, slew a dragon right. and all this kind of stuff. And there's some truth in that, in that that's because there was dinosaurs at the same time. Yeah, so there's like these dinosaurs where if you look at the fossils, they had certain shaped noses that meant that they could breathe fire. And like, it's it's quite clear. It's not, it's not a peer-reviewed <laughs> published journal, shall we say. But... At least when I when I was younger and I heard that talk, there was someone who read that book and was convinced by it. Mm. And rather than me and my dad <laughs> just dismissing it out of hand, it's important to think, well, for that person, that's clearly a really important thing that they read that and they thought, I want to tell people about this. I'm going to mm. write mm. an evening lecture about this mm. and tell other people about it. There is something that was fulfilled for those people. So... In, in a black and white way, I would look at that and say, that is a load of rubbish. That person is stupid. That person doesn't know what they're talking about. I'm going to laugh about it with my dad in the car on the way home. Whereas actually in a more nuanced way, you can think, where, where is the truth here? Even if I don't believe that it's literally true, mm-hmm. there is a truth here and that this person potentially has some real difficulty putting the fossil record and the Bible record together particularly if they um, have a certain view on, you know, the timeline of the Bible. And this for them really fulfills a need. And how can, you know, if I was being very charitable, how can I help them to fulfill that need, but also not believe in stuff that's... Mm, I wonder if people would say to this, though, that's a damaging idea. Like, you know, if you're trying to preach to the community and someone mm. new comes in and they're, and, and, and they come in and hear a talk about, dinosaurs mm. living mm. with the same time as humans they just be like well these are all a bunch of nut jobs i'm out of here exactly and, um, yeah and so there's that again there's that individual and group dynamic sort of mm. thing do you placate this individual and try and be gentle with them or do you put a hard line down and say mm. this is damaging the community's credibility and growth and and and, in, and you know in the end goal saving people and it should, shouldn't be uh, mm-hmm. put forward. And people said the exact same thing about evolution, that it's, it's damaging the credibility of the group and, yeah. and, and whatnot. Yeah. So I wonder if there's an element to which, if I'm trying to find the truth in humans living with dinosaurs, I guess I am trying to find that truth in more of a metaphorical way as to like a, a psychological truth yeah. to it. Well, yes, um, yes, yeah, exactly what I mean. And allowing that to play out. But maybe at the same time, I'd be tempted mm. to also ensure 
this wasn't something we were trying to put forward as a literal yeah. truth, which again is me trying to put my own spin on things yeah and i think that is that's a crux of it really isn't it because there often is a breaking point for people where they maybe have thought um i'm going to kind of i'm gonna entertain this or i'm gonna go along with this even though it's not really something that i believe in but for the sake of unity that's often something you hear isn't it like Mm. um for the sake of unity i'm going to carry on with this but there is often a breaking point for people isn't there when there's no i can no longer tolerate this because i think this is incredibly damaging or i believe that this is essential to someone's salvation so i can't kind of tolerate it and i'm mm, i yeah. guess is there a difference between nuance and tolerating something mm. it's almost like we need two infrastructures within our community one that's a sandbox and one that plays out in reality a sandboxing is like a coding term for like you have your live code that that is pu- publicly accessible on your website and then you have your other version which you tweak and mess around with to try out new mm. ideas and if it works then you publish it to the live website and if you don't then you kind of reorder it again i think one of the things that i've said for a long time now is we don't have the infrastructure with which to digest and process these ideas we've only got the live site and yeah. no one wants to touch that i feel like if we have that infrastructure and people are kind of buy into that a bit more it's like okay this is a safe space to kind of be challenged yeah well we're not going to make a policy decision yeah so that was a really excellent thing in a talk that i listened to recently about women's roles it encouraged you know here's the lay of the land i would encourage you in your meetings and in your groups to have these discussions but have the discussions without the end point of making a policy decision about it Mm. have that safe space to Mm. talk about without drawing the line like the black and white line it's like because i think people think okay, this discussion is going to result in a moving of the line, the black and white line, and that's going to be... And if you can reassure people, mm, mm. yeah, we're just going to practice talking about things and listening to each other without that, yeah, live decision being made. So, yes, I was talking about the idea of pick a side and how that's quite an unhealthy way to approach things and, yeah, doesn't encourage much nuance. And the example of the American journalist who sits within a certain political area, however, is happy to criticise his own political area. And that is actually seen as very damaging and offensive by people. Who share that same Who share area. his exact same ideas. So it shows the... It just, it's just an example of... It shows how resistant people are, not just in religion, in politics, in the wider world, to mm-hmm. having their own identity area being um, challenged. So saying your view, your views are mixed or that your views have changed can become more and more unacceptable. And I was thinking Christadelphian circles, is this really difficult? Because it damages the view of the truth, kind of capital letter truth, the idea that there is nuance and there's flexibility for thinking about different interpretations. The idea there isn't a black and white answer if you have a particular capital letter idea of the truth. Yeah, that can be very difficult. There's also the nice analogy of a spinning top when you spin it on a table. Is it in motion or is it at rest? And it's both things at the same time. It is spinning, but...
but it's basically staying in exactly the same place. And through self-reflection, can we think a little bit more about that? And I was really inspired by... Can we go into that a bit more? Spinning top, not quite sure I follow that. Oh, so um, so yeah, if you spin a spinning top on a table and mm. it stays, like a really good one that stays in exactly the same right. place, it's spinning incredibly fast, but actually at the same time, it's just staying still in the same place. It's just an analogy, a, a paradoxical idea like a thought experiment of a thing that's moving incredibly fast but at the same time is still right and that maybe translates to so um, that immediately made me think of a chapter in one of Brene Brown's books where she talked about she's all about authenticity isn't she and I think she was talking about being happy to be in a space that is not one extreme or the other and her example was she can say yes blue lives matter which we've talked a lot about american um, politics today Uh, but she said that she is completely 100 percent blue lives matter as in police lives matter and the blue lives matter is a reaction against black lives matter which is why it's so controversial Mm. but she said no i'm not going to be drawn into one or the other i am absolutely blue lives matter you know police officers Uh, need protection the majority of them are not corrupt and are trying to do a really good job Mm. but at the same time she was like i am 100 percent black lives matter Mm. i don't have to prefer one to the detriment of the other Mm -hmm. if Mm -hmm. i say no uh, if i say black lives matter it doesn't mean that i don't think blue lives matter Mm -hmm. and the other way around Mm. um her point was it's not a zero-sum game we can't it's there's not a limit to our compassion Mm. and by saying Black lives matter, blue lives matter, all lives matter. You can say, yes, 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 I have unlimited compassion for all of these people because I say one doesn't mean that I don't say another. And I remember listening to that and just being like, that is so refreshing to hear. That is wonderful. And I completely understand there is so much complexity behind all those political stances. But just her really clearly putting the point forward of there is no limit to my compassion I have compassion for all of these people because I have compassion for one doesn't mean I don't have compassion for the other. There was also a really excellent section. I would really recommend to anyone to listen to this series. There was another section which isn't completely relevant to what we're talking about, but it talked about language. And I know, Tom, in one of our listening events, you talked about the word listen because we just have a word for it. And it's the word that we use for children, you know, good listening, children. Is everybody Mm. listening? No, you're not listening. You're talking while I'm talking, all that kind of thing. We think we know what listening means Mm. because we've labelled it and we've boxed it. It's over there. Yeah. Oh, well, you need to listen more to your brothers and sisters. Yeah, well, I do. I'm really good at listening. (laughs) Actually, if you break it apart and really interrogate what does listening mean? What are different words for listening, different ways that we can talk about listening? It helps you to kind of unbox it a bit and be more nuanced about the meaning of things. Which kind of comes into that really, doesn't it? When you've labelled something, you've kind of put it into a box. Can I read you that bit from, it's Ian McGilchrist that talks about the, the word. He uses it for being, but I'll substitute listening in there. He says, because our terms such as listening makes us feel that we understand what listening is, it hides the sense of radical astonishment we would have if we could truly understand it and subverts our attempts to do so. This does not mean that we should abandon language. It just means that we have to be constantly vigilant to undermine language's attempt to undermine our understanding. Mm. So like when we box something into a word, it undermines our understanding of it because yeah. it often only means one thing to us. Yeah, yeah. Like I've been listening to the Bible Project's podcasts on Cheshet, 
which is love, but it's not just love. It's mm -hmm. like so many more things. And it's almost like the only way that you can explain it is actually to tell a story about mm. two people that have this particular love for each other. So yeah. it has to be parabolized. And, that, and, and I think that's really interesting because I found in our listening sessions that we've been doing that it's only when I get the other people in the group to act out the process of listening that we yeah. want them to go through that a true understanding of it happens mm. and so it's actually an embodied experience and i think we, when you become really focused on identities as labels and like the precise word to use you you you're pinning it down to a point where it becomes lifeless and mm. actually you need to live it to understand it so yeah living love or living listening in an embodied sense is how you actually understand it mm. and sometimes i wonder if that's true about things like head coverings it's like as a man i don't embody any of the things that a woman goes through by mm. putting on the actual head covering or like sitting there with it on. the mental energy before the yeah. process of leading yeah, up yeah, to yeah, that yeah. sunday to, to me it's it just like it's a head covering put it on or mm. or don't put it on or whatever and but for actually someone experiencing the whole thing mm. it's an entirely different way of learning and living it that informs why you will or won't do it so in this idea of pick a side you've got to be one or the other which can be very limiting and you've got Brené Brown saying actually you can if you have the attitude of, I have unlimited compassion, it's not a zero-sum game, I can sit in the uncomfortable bit of not being part of either tribe. And in terms of being someone who is moderate and is happy to say, I haven't made up my mind on this yet, or this is difficult to resolve, you might be someone who really wants to maintain the community tradition of women not speaking because it's, it's something that works in your community, you want to keep unity... Um, and also when you read the Bible, your interpretation of it is, yeah, it, it does just say women shouldn't speak. But at the same time, you can care deeply for your friend, your brother or sister, who is feels very damaged by that doctrine, who is really, really struggling with it. And you can be completely compassionate and listen to what they have to say. Yeah. You and, and you can sit and go, this is a difficult thing to reconcile. And this is just mm -hmm. tricky. And I'm going to sit here, but I'm going to maintain unity out of compassion for my mm. brothers and sisters and that interpretation that I have but I'm also going to maintain compassion and I know I remember speaking to someone recently who was kind of when we were talking about LGBTQ plus people and how that comes into certain interpretations of the bible and they were saying yeah I find it really really difficult and they said when I read the bible unfortunately for me I do see that it says that you essentially that you can't be gay and be a a follower of God they were saying but it's a really hard place to sit with that because I've got so many friends who I would love to bring to church yeah. and there's so many problems that I could see just being resolved if we said that it was okay mm -hmm. and that person I had a lot of respect for them because they didn't rush towards I just want to placate people and say yes it's okay but but also I can see what it says here in the bible through this certain interpretation but I'm not just going to reject all of the thinking i'm gonna sit in this really difficult place because i haven't made up my mind yet mm. and that's okay i think that place that kind of venn diagram of like mm. these overlapping circles is kind of where generative listening happens like we were saying mm. in the last episode 
if you hold those two things together without trying to separate them apart, without trying to like fix the paradox and you just hold it and say, this is an experience I'm having and you sit with that in, in a meditative, prayerful state and invite people into that space and hold that space as a space that, that is safe to step into without having to pick a side, mm. then I think you allow answers to come from outside of yourself about the situation rather than you know trying to get to a needle point focus mm. and 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 atomize the verses to kind of find the exact phrasing of the greek word to or closing your mind to um researching it further yeah 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 it's sort yeah. of like well it's black and white and it's this and yeah. it's much safer just to sit here so i'm not gonna think about it anymore yeah, yeah, yeah. which is yeah. a much easier and understandable stance to take so i listened to a Brené Brown podcast where she's talking with a guy who's written a book called The Infinite Game and he I think it's a similar to nuance it's like sometimes we think there's winners and losers like in a match like a football mm. match it's like someone's got to win this game as if there's 90 minutes to it and there's a final whistle and then suddenly like everyone applauds the winners mm-hmm. and admits defeat or something um, and actually the fact that there's an infinite game going on it's it's not about winning something right Mm. now and thinking in finite terms about stuff it's actually holding things open and saying the game is much bigger than this one conversation Mm. or this one period of time that we're in yeah and again that takes that's really hard to do stepping back and thinking about the yeah the long game and the bigger picture um so just to wrap up the main thing that I found really interesting about this series was it talking about the moderate stance. Uh, and there was a quote that said, moderation is not apathetic, but deeply passionate and often a very mentally taxing way of life. So that idea of being a moderate um, sounds like it could be stereotyped as someone who just, oh, I don't want to cause any arguments. Oh, I don't really want to think about it in much detail. No, mm-hmm. I, I don't really mind. Oh, you know, I'm not one way or the other. Whereas actually, nowadays to take a moderated stance of, I'm going to think about that. I haven't made up my mind yet. Mm. I'm sitting in this uncomfortable space and I'm not taking a side is actually far more difficult. And it shows a real passionate for truth, self-reflection and authenticity, I guess. And it talks about moderation should not be seen as a political position, more of an attitude or a spirit. Mm. Um, And particularly in, so this, um series just talk a lot about like online discussion and online moderate attitudes get crowded out because they're not clickbait Mm. and they're not a quick line that you can say and i wonder is this the same in conversation and also the same within any kind of social media groups to do with like like christadelphian discussions and things the moderate person might think oh i don't know how i made up my mind about that so i don't i don't i don't feel like i have anything to post so actually all you see yeah. are the two yeah, yeah, yeah. polar yeah, opposites. Yeah. And interesting, like the moderate position is the slower position, isn't it? The other ones will either hold fast on something or want quick change about something. Mm. But the moderate position, I m- imagine, is a it's slower, more nuanced. Yeah. slower moving train. Slow moving because there isn't a, not a conclusion. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And again, it comes into, do our beliefs become our identities? If we speak to someone who is moderate about something who says well I haven't actually made my mind about head coverings or the inspiration of the bible if you hold if you are on one side or the other about it you can see the other person as a as a traitor it's like well 
if you're not for us, then you're against us. Mm, it's that kind mm. of black and white thing. Or you can, um, if you are moderate about things, you could be seen as someone who makes concessions or isn't truly part of the tribe or not a true believer. And I just wonder how comfortable, if um, anyone listening to this or us ourselves, like how comfortable are we to say, I haven't made up my mind about this. I'm going to have to go away and think about this. Or mm-hmm. I just don't know. Or I think I'm a bit of both. Like, how comfortable are we to say that? And well, how I, do we think think it would be received? I guess some people listening to this would be like, well, I, I have made up my mind about head coverings. Like, are we asking them to kind of unmake their mind? Mm-hmm. Or I guess we're op- asking them to be open to the the nugget of truth that might be mm-hmm. in the yeah. polar. And the needs that are in other arguments about it. Yeah, yeah. And it's a difficult stance to take, but to be constantly self-reflecting on... You know, have I made my mind on this because actually it's the opinion of this particular group that I've now aligned with? Or it meets a particular need of mine. Yeah, yeah. And have I closed the book on it because it's just easier to do that? Which, again, is completely legitimate. Yeah. Like, having this more nuanced, moderate way of thinking about things is much harder. Mm -hmm. And I don't blame people for taking that stance, but... Through self-reflection, you can just sort of think mm. about and making sure that it's not leading you to have very unproductive discussions and debates with yeah, people. Yeah. It's interesting because we often want to go to church to reach an end goal of some sort of feeling of tranquility or connection or peace, some sort of reflective period to kind of reposition ourselves for the week ahead. And if we're going into that space feeling bitter about other people and what they think about mm. doctrines... Or going into that space and thinking, am I going to have to deal today with somebody's nuance or or the friction that might come from rubbing against people with different Mm. opinions than me? I'm not going to be able to get to that place that I need, that I want to get to for that in that church space, which is interesting. It's, It's where you find connection. I find I get connection to my brothers and sisters and to god and jesus and that meditative place through churning up these ideas playing with them thinking about the boundaries between these concepts and that that's where i find actual like um catalysts for like feeling in inspired and in, in awe of how amazing all this web of stuff is mm. but I, I i know that for other people you don't want any of that in your... I'd say most other people. <laughs> I think you forget how, yeah, you're quite an unusual person. <laughs> well. Yeah. But no, I can completely see that as well. There is, you know, so so potentially, you know, the breaking of bread, which is a place for comfort, tradition, ritual, ethereal kind of thinking and connection with something it's not really the space for these things, you know, should there be a cultivated, safer space to think about these things? And yeah, I think overall, um, so I thought it was really fascinating that a conclusion of the series was, how can we do this? And maintaining friendships and relationships with people who challenge your beliefs or just who you know believe different things to you? Mm. And can you just keep maintaining a relationship with those people and not kind of backing off kind of being happy with what you have in common and being exposed to the things that you don't believe or things that you disagree with in terms of having compassion for those people because you see it, it's a real person who thinks exactly, it's my friend who I have these mm. things with. So how can we maintain rela- relationships and friendships with people in an ever-polarising world who don't hold our exact beliefs? And in the 
series they talked about fake it until you make it believe that people are inherently better than you believe them to be and i thought that's a very biblical concept isn't it yeah regarding others as better than yourself so because someone holds a different belief to you not thinking that they as a person are a a bad person Mm. and thinking there is truth for this person and and what is that how can i be compassionate towards that person so i guess for me it was Seeing your compassion as being unlimited, don't kind of label people with their beliefs. Self-reflection and being happy to think in a more moderate way and be happy with the in-between about not kind of having made up your mind about things necessarily. Mm -hmm. And also just the acknowledgement that that is a much more difficult way to live your life, but ultimately much more productive way potentially. Mm -hmm. Yeah, productive in the sense that it, it allows for like an otherness to surprise you um, when you hold things looser, doesn't it? It allows you mm. to have some distance to kind of maybe see a bigger picture. And um, yeah, that generative listening to speak to you. Yeah. Great. Thanks very much for listening. We will see you next time. Mm-hmm.